If you have ever felt like you are a victim of your own calendar, well, then this message is for you. We're into part two of our series called Game Ready, how to spend your time on what matters most. Today on the Tower Hill Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church. This is Pastor Jason. I hope that you are having a really great week and a really great day. Today, as I am recording this, we just experienced a solar eclipse, which everybody's just freaking out about. But to be perfectly honest with you, I was so paranoid that it was going to damage my eyes. I barely looked. So I had the approved glasses, uh, which are kind of cool. But then I saw these articles. Maybe you saw these two, all these articles that were saying, well, some of them might not be legit and you'll burn your eyes out. So I, uh, I did my research, which meant going to Google, which apparently is trustworthy somehow. Anyway, so I got on there and I saw, you know, all of our glasses had all the right specifications and, uh, it, be that as it may, I was nervous to look at it today, but I did. I looked at it, and man, it was really cool. Now, where we are in New Jersey, it was not a total blackout. We had like 70%, but it was so fun and so cool and so amazing, and it, it makes me think of this amazing God uh, who made everything. I saw somebody tweet out on social media. I thought this was a really cool statement that... If the sun can burn your eyes out from 92 million miles away, then uh, what about a holy God in whose presence we are allowed to stand because of faith in Jesus? I was like, whoa, mind. Uh, Anyway, uh, it was really cool. I hope that you all enjoyed it, had a chance to look at it, and I didn't get uh, bummed out by some of the clouds that were there. But really... um, This week, we are just creeping toward the beginning of the school year, the beginning of fall, and everybody starts getting stressed out. And this whole sermon series that we're doing called Game Ready is all about what do you do with that? How do you make sure that in your busiest season of life, you are not missing out on what God wants for you and your family? And I hope that it's a help to you as you think through how to prepare for this busy season coming up in the fall. There's a couple of resources that I mentioned uh, during the sermon that I want to make sure to highlight. The first is the Version Bible app. That's Y-O-U Version Bible app. It's a free app for your smartphone, and it has daily, weekly, topical, scripture, all kinds of devotions for you to get involved with. That's a great tool if you're looking for a way to take a next step. And speaking of next steps, uh, I did reference our websites, towerhillchurch.org. And if you look at the top menu, it's got a, a button that says next steps. And that is to help you kind of figure out what are some possible next steps that I can take so that I can open my heart up to God in maybe a different way uh, as I prepare myself spiritually for this fall. So I hope this is helpful to you. Uh, please drop me a line and let me know, jason at towerhillchurch.org. Uh, be great to hear from you and you know see see who's listening out there and see uh, if you have uh, if you have any feedback on even just on the podcast you know we're trying a bunch of new stuff and uh, we're really excited about it and hope that it's uh, helping you in your life but we can always do better so uh, drop me a line and without further ado though let's get into this week's message uh, this is part two of game ready. How to spend your time on what matters most. 
Have a great week, everyone. Every single year, it's the same thing with me. I'm into August. Life's great. Just strolling back from vacation. Kids are still home. You know, we're kind of doing our summer routine. And then I wake up some September morning, and I'm completely overwhelmed. Everything's gotten away from me all at once. I look at my calendar, and my calendar is just jammed. And I don't know how it happened. All of a sudden, I got all the kids' activities. I got all my work obligations. I got everything. And there is just simply no room for anything. Maybe your calendar looks a little bit like this one up here. Go ahead, hit the calendar. There you go. Maybe that looks like you as you're planning, as you're getting ready for for everything that life is throwing at you. And then what happens is I'm just reacting. My life is just a reaction to the things on the calendar. And I get going, and I get into it, and at some point, I start to wonder, am I missing out? Am I missing out on what God has planned for me during this season of my life? I'm not sure what season of life you're in. Maybe you got kids. Maybe you're feeling my pain right now. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't, and maybe you're just laughing because you're beyond that stage. Or, or maybe, but I don't know. I know a lot of people even if you're retired, or even if you don't have kids, that life tends to get away from you when you start getting into busy seasons. You feel like you become a victim. That your life is living you. You're not living your life. So what does it mean now to make sure that in the midst of this busy schedule, of this busy life, how do we prepare ourselves so that we don't miss what God has for us? And that's why we're calling this series Game Ready. How to spend your time on what matters most. Because now's the time. I know that September calendar is already filled. It's funny, I, I did the message last week, the first part in the series, and I had several people be like, you know, I wasn't stressed about September. And then he started talking to us. Started getting all stressed out. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm trying to have the opposite effect. Um, but really, it's about whether or not you're going to be intentional with your time. And that is all the difference between floundering and flourishing. Because you don't accidentally get to where you want to go. It takes intention. Same thing with us following what God wants for us. The bottom line is we need to create some margin in our lives. Last week we talked about how Moses needed to create margin in his life. That he was too busy. He was busy with all the right stuff. But it said that he was judging over the people. He's serving as judge from morning until night. And if he hadn't done something about it, thanks to his father-in-law's, great advice. If he hadn't done something about it, he never would have had the time to go to Mount Sinai and receive the Ten Commandments. Perhaps the biggest, if not one of the biggest moments of the entire scripture. You see, I think God has some Mount Sinai's for you to climb. That God wants to spend time with you. That he wants to hand you something in a big way in your life. But you might miss it if you don't create margin. And it's really about how to be a disciple. And we're kind of having fun with it. We're saying it's kind of like an NFL training camp, you know. It's like we're getting ready, we're practicing, but what would it look like if you practiced making margin, if you practiced doing some things to help you make sure that you have time for Mount Sinai before you're in the middle of the craziness? 
So how do you do that? Well, I think it's all about what does it mean to be a disciple? A disciple, for most of us, we think disciple equals student. And I think that's a pretty good working definition for a lot of us. But let's unpack that a little bit more. What does it mean to be a student? When I say student, what are some things that you think about about being a student? We're going to do this totally like interactive. So I know you're not used to this, but I won't put any of you on the spot much. Homework. Yes. What else about being a student? What do you think of? Bam. First thing in your head. Student. Learning. Study. School. Exams. Responsibilities. What else? No sleep. <laughs> what else? You know, all the background people are so nervous right now. That's why they sit back there, so this doesn't happen. Like, what else? What else about being a student? Attend class. Effort. Books. Young. Young. Stress. How about, come on, someone, top row. Time management. Teacher. Teacher. Now, how many of you, when you were in high school, you knew every personal detail about your teacher's life? I hope you're not raising your hand. That would be wildly inappropriate and weird. So we have it in our heads that there's a certain way of being a student, and there's a certain way that we interact with our teacher. Like our job, we get information from the teacher, and then we somehow spit it back out. We recite it. We regurgitate it. Of course, all the teachers in the room, we've learned it. We've learned it. But we, we, we make sure that we give it back so that they understand that because we want to get the grade. And then if we know it enough, we get the grade and we move on. That really, student is about information intake and then being able to say that information again. I think that's helpful, but it also shows the limitations of our understanding of student. Because if we think disciple is student and our, our whole job is simply to take in information about God so that we can spit it back out, we are basically missing almost all of what it means to be a disciple. Here's where I'm going with this. To be a disciple in Jesus' day was something completely different. Religious education in ancient Galilee was pretty rigorous. Kids went to school, and they studied under the town rabbi. And they began at the age of five. At the age of five, it was determined that they were ready to start learning about Scripture. And they would go all the way to the age of 18 with benchmarks along the way. When they were 10, it was considered, they were considered ready to be able to live out the 10 commandments. Makes sense, 10 and 10. Uh, When they hit 13, they had another benchmark, so on and so forth. And by the time they were done with school, this is both boys and girls, by the time they were done with school at age 18, they would have been able to recite in its entirety all five books of Torah. It was a rigorous education. Now, when you turned 18, you were eligible to get married. You, you were marriage ready. When you were 20, you began learning a trade. Now, when you were learning that trade, if you were one of the very, very, very exceptional students, you got to also continue your religious education. You became a disciple of not just the town rabbi, but you had a chance to study other uh, under other rabbis, 
more prominent rabbis. If you were really great, you got to study under famous rabbis. These were called, these disciples were called the Teladim. Known as the Talmudim, known as disciples. Very few got to do this, and very few sought permission. But when they did, then it said they would leave their homes for an extended period of time and study under this rabbi. Now, this wasn't just an information kind of student-teacher relationship. They intentionally knew all the personal business of their teacher. Their whole job as a, as a disciple was to become what the rabbi is. To become what the rabbi is. It was more than just earning a grade. So, so basically, these disciples, they would go off with their rabbi. They would learn, how's the, how's the rabbi sleep? How's the rabbi make his breakfast? How does the rabbi travel around and talk to people? In fact, they would imitate the rabbi so much that they would learn, you know, the rabbi's got a little hitch in his gate. They would walk like the rabbi. They would do everything they could to be exactly like the rabbi. It was a full immersion experience. They wanted to literally become the rabbi. That's what it meant to be a disciple. And so you see, if we think discipleship is just about information intake, we're missing most of what it means to be a disciple. It is an all-in experience. I actually think um, the experience is less like school as we know it today and more like the karate kid. Obviously, you made that connection. Right? I mean, think about it. Little, now, all right, if you haven't seen the karate kid, you've had a lot of time, okay? This is fair. I can spoil it for you if you haven't seen it. So, the karate kid, little Daniel LaRusso, he wants to be just like Mr. Miyagi. He Im starts to imitate him. He starts to wear, you know, the thing around his head. He starts to uh, trim bonsai trees, and he starts to take on his customs, and his life, he starts learning from him in a way that is more about his whole life and not just information. He wants to become his sensei. And he sees Mr. Miyagi up there doing the, the thing, doing the kick thing. And he, start, he gets up there and starts doing it in the same way, same place, same way. It's a lot like that, that us being disciples is a lot like that. We are trying to imitate. In fact, Scripture says this, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. We are supposed to imitate our rabbi. That is discipleship. And I think this makes a lot of sense as you start to reread portions of the New Testament where you're looking at Jesus interacting with his disciples. It makes a lot more sense then with Peter stepping out of the boat and walking on water. Because that's what his rabbi did. He's supposed to imitate his rabbi. He got it. Or when Jesus would talk to his disciples about uh, stories about leaving their father and their mother and being with him. Th that's what disciples did. That's what Talmudim did when they went to study under a rabbi. So you see, discipleship was much more than being a student. It was trying to become the rabbi. In fact, Jesus says in uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 40, everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Now, what... 
What did it mean to study under that teacher? Well, it meant if you were one of the Talmudim, you were making a commitment at this point in your life to take on the yoke of the Torah. Now, in, in their culture, a yoke made a lot of sense. They understood it. Uh, it, was, it was a symbol that made sense because it's what they used in agriculture. Now, the purpose of the yoke, of course, was to put two animals together, usually oxen, so that you would get them to go in the same direction. And they were plowing the field or doing whatever it was that they were doing. And so it didn't take long for this to become a spiritual metaphor in Jesus' day. That when you were studying as a Talmudim, when you were studying Torah, you were taking on the yoke of Torah. In other words, wherever God's word went, you were going with it. Wherever God's word went, you were going with it. But it didn't end there. Then, depending on the rabbi whom you studied under, that rabbi had their own interpretations of what it meant to follow Torah. And so the rabbi placed on you the yoke of the rabbi. Now, in Jesus' day, to take on the yoke of the Torah, the yoke of the rabbi, it was mostly, most of the rabbis were Pharisees. So the whole idea was you take on this yoke, and it was really, really hard to do. Why? Because it was all about following religious rules and regulations. And if you were to take on that yoke, it was considered a huge, huge burden. Now let's contrast that with what Jesus says to the people around him and to his disciples. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This would have been a really weird thing for a rabbi to say. But right from the beginning, he was making a distinction apart from all the other rabbis. He's saying, I am not like that way of following God at all. What did he mean? Well, that way of following God was all about, again, the religious obligation. It's like, if I do this, and I do this, and I take all the right steps, and I do all these things, then maybe, hopefully, kind of, sort of, maybe God will accept me. If I could just do these things. And sadly, so many Christians today have that view of God. If I just go to church more, if I just give more, if I, whatever it is, I have to do more, if I just keep doing that, maybe someday when I get to the end, then God's going to accept me. That, if we're wearing that yoke, that is heavy. That is a burden. Because we feel a pressure that God's not going to love us or accept us. And Jesus basically says, that way of understanding God is completely opposite of what, what I want to give you. My yoke is completely different. Why? Because you are loved and accepted by God because of his grace, not because of what you do. And the reason that you live your life then is because you're so happy for what he's done in your life. I feel like this sums up what it means to follow Jesus. And this has been true in my life. It's like, I don't live my life a certain way so I hope God accepts me. God accepts, accepts me. Therefore, I want to do what he wants me to do. I want to live my life in that way. 
And I know that if I live my life in that way, I'm going to experience what? Rest for my soul. Jesus doesn't want to hand you religion. He wants you to have a relationship. That's what sets Jesus apart and is so often misunderstood. Jesus wants to give us a relationship. He wants us to experience freedom. That if we are yoked with Jesus, we're going to go where God's word goes. But he says, this burden is light. Because it's not about you. It's about my grace that is sufficient for you. And here's the amazing thing. Because so often we think, well, okay, I mean, that's great. And I want to follow my rabbi and do everything, but... But how do I do that? You know, I'm 2,000 years removed from historical Jesus living, walking around. If it was hard for these disciples. But here's the thing. It says that through faith, we have what? We receive the Holy Spirit. Which means the rabbi is now living inside of us. And that at any time in our life, if we want to listen, the rabbi will tell us exactly how to imitate him. We just have to become really good and intentional about making room in our life, making margin in our life to hear him. Because he's speaking all the time, but we're constantly talking over him. So how do we do that? We train. We train to do it. I love how all throughout Scripture, it talks about faith, about being intentional with God. It talks about it all like, like a race. You're on the clock. It, we're not just um, disciples going on a light jog for Jesus, a leisurely stroll. It's, we are training. We are in a race. We are numbered and our days are numbered. We have a beginning, a middle, and an end. There is some urgency to this life. Jesus wants us to have rest for our souls now. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others... I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. It takes discipline. It takes training. It takes working at it. And remember what's at stake. Rest for your souls. Is that not worth working for? It's what you're all chasing anyway. You're all chasing rest. I mean, think about that. No matter what it is you're pursuing, you're pursuing more, more income? Why? If you're praying for healing in your life, why? If you're praying that God will overcome a situation, why? All you are searching for, all you and I are searching for is rest for our souls. This is exactly what Jesus promises if we learn to take his yoke. 
but that takes being intentional. So how do we do it? And again, we've been having some fun saying it's like NFL training camp, right? So last week we, we talked a little bit about that. And this week we're talking about it's like a pregame routine. Now, if you played any sports, you, you know that you have a pregame routine, uh, a, a time where you're getting ready specifically for the game. So if we use uh, football as an example, uh, this is the time where you're not training on everything at this point. You know who you're going to play. You know your strengths and your weaknesses. What you're going to do is you're going to train in a targeted way. You're going to train in the things that you are not good at in order to prepare you for the game. If you know that they're, if you're playing defense and their offense plays a certain way, and you haven't mastered the way you're supposed to line up and play, you're going to work on that that week. You're not going to work on the other stuff that you already know. You're going to do some targeted training. So what do I mean by that? How does that look spiritually? Well, targeted training, I, I think, is, there are a couple of things to this. The first is, some of you, you say, okay, when I'm feeling far from God, I have kind of a go-to spiritual thing that I do. Maybe... Maybe you haven't, some of you have never identified a spiritual thing. That, that's okay. In a way, that's good. Because it'll be easier just to start with anything. <laughs> it will, and, and to get going. But for some of you, it's like, okay, well, I start feeling a certain way, and then I do this one prayer thing, or, or I do this one spiritual exercise. What I would challenge you to do is to not do that one, but to do something else. Train in something you're not good at. Develop your ability. What happens is, when we always pray the same way, or we always do the same spiritual thing, we get into a rut. It's like there are parts of our heart that remain closed to God because we're not used to opening them. What if there's a prayer exercise that you can do that's different? What if you have never done like a partial fast during a day, a, a fast in prayer during your day? What if you have never done a, a, a certain kind of like reading scripture? There are all sorts of ideas. Again, the YouVersion Bible app's a great resource. You can even just walk into Barnes & Noble, and there are a million devotional ideas, prayers, books, anything to start in a different way. I'd say start doing some targeted training so that you learn to open up different parts of your heart to God in a different way. When we are shaken out of a routine, like routines are great, but sometimes they put us to sleep. We are shaken out of our routine we find that we're able to open to God more. And then you're adding more tools, more ways that you connect with God. You know, I think for a lot of people, it's just identifying, what's that next step for me? You know, if you go to our website, we actually have a place in our website designed for you if you're looking for a next step. In the top menu, it says next steps, and it's got different categories for you to look at what would a next step for me look like this fall? Like, I've never served at lunch break. What would that look like for me to sign up and do that and exercise a different spiritual part of me? Or maybe it's just getting closer to Jesus. Maybe it's putting my faith in Jesus. Maybe it's joining a, a Bible study or, or a different group. Whatever that is, what might a next step look like for me? It's like the fireman's fair. I mean, it sounds goofy, but our church really has not done this in a very long time. That is, volunteering for a community event and having a community presence that isn't something that we have here at Tower Hill. Going to where the people are. This is a great opportunity. If you've never done anything like this, you're going to get a pretty, pretty cool shirt. 
But don't let that be the reason. You want to be there, you want to start mingling and getting to know and being there in the middle of the community, in the middle where the people are, and serving and having a presence. Or again, back to lunch break. You know, we need some help with people who can do some shopping. Could you get things ready? If you are physically able and you have an SUV or a truck, this might be a nice way for you to get in and become part of the team. Whatever that is, let's do something different. Let's do some targeted training as we prepare for this coming fall. Okay, another thing. Another thing that, that the pregame routine is, I remember my, my coach in high school was big on this. That is, visualize success. Visualize success. He used to. My coach is quite a character. I think most coaches are. Football coaches, anyway. Uh, so, high school football, my, my coach, he used to, an hour before the game, he said we had to have all of our, our uniform on, ready to go, ready to play. And then he'd bring us into the wrestling room of the high school. You know, like with the pads all over the walls and the, and the floor. No windows or anything. He'd put us all, tell us all to sit in there, and he'd turn off the lights. And he would say the same thing every time. Gentlemen, visualize success. And he'd walk away. And we knew we weren't to do anything until he came back, but visualize success. So he'd leave, we'd all snicker, and then we would start to visualize success. So what did that mean? Whatever your position was, imagine yourself making a great play. Making a great block. Making a great tackle. Making a great interception. Making a great catch. A great run visualize success. And you know what? I'll be darned if that didn't happen often. Where you get in the game and you, you would perform something, you'd be like, I saw this coming! It's, it's very powerful. What it does is it focuses you on the end result. You start with the end in mind. And often, you're able to accomplish that because you visualize it. I believe in this way, in a couple of ways, is that if you visualize yourself Doing what you're hoping for when it comes to your relationship with God, you have a better shot of doing it. Maybe that means you want to set a goal for your family this fall. Say, I want my family to pray together every Sunday for five minutes. And, you know, and, so, and I'm going to do it, and it's going to be at 745 or 7.55 on Sunday, we're all going to pray together, and that's our goal, and, and write it down. And visualize that happening. And listen, even if life happens, and you do it half the time, that's half more than you would have done it. Visualize success. I think the other way that you visualize success is, um, I do this every morning, is that I'll think about my day as I'm, as I'm praying, and, and I'll ask Jesus to be present in those places where I really feel like I need him that day. Like, um, you know, I got this important meeting, or I'm meeting with someone, or there's a situation, or maybe it's with my kids, I mean, and I just ask that Jesus be present in those things. And sure enough, as I'm visualizing that, I, I get to that part of the day, and I feel like, yeah, Jesus is present. Now, would he have been present otherwise? Of course. I just wouldn't have had my eyes open to it. I'm visualizing success. Or maybe you like, you're a PTA mom, and you got that meeting, you got that other PTA mom that you can't stand, who you know is going to say something, going to drive you crazy. That's a hypothetical. 
and you're just, and you're just waiting. What if you visualize you acting like your rabbi in that situation? What if you imagine being like Jesus in the different situations of your life? Then by the time it came, you would be prepared. When it was time to play the game, you'd be able to do it. The third thing, and this is interesting because it doesn't feel uh, spiritual, but trust me, it is. The third thing in your pregame routine is to take care of your body. Take care of your body. What, what do I mean? I'm just going to level with you. I become a spiritual idiot when I'm overtired. When you're overtired, are you more or less patient with people? Right, right. Are you slower or quicker to anger? Right? Are you more likely to go to a bad habit for comfort? Yeah. Your physical and your spiritual are so interwoven. Many people uh, who are dealing with chronic injuries or many people who are dealing with sickness have a hard time spiritually because those things are connected. When you're feeling worn down, your spirit can very easily follow suit. Take care of yourself. What do I mean? I mean that if I, as your pastor, stayed up to 2 a.m. on Saturday every week and expected to be able to get up and do three services on Sunday well, that would be bad you would get a very different version of me. But I feel like most of us, we, we tend to live life that way, right? We have something important coming up, and, and we don't get enough sleep, and we're all stressed out and freaking out. We are not at our best. How are we going to be at our best during the busy seasons of life when we're not taking care of ourselves properly? And I notice when I'm not eating right, when I'm having a little too much fun with summer, and, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling as spiritually in tune. It's amazing how much those things go together. If I just go for a walk in the morning, the difference it has on my day is incredible. Taking care of your body. Because here's what's at stake. We're all chasing rest for our souls. We're all chasing it. And, and usually we look to everywhere else except Jesus. Because we think his burden in our lives is going to be so much harder. Trust me, not being yoked to Jesus is incomparably harder. You will be more frustrated. You will have less peace. Because his burden is light. He wants you to find rest for your soul. So let's learn to become like our rabbi. Let's get game ready this fall. And make our time work for us instead of us working for our time. And let us make sure that we're spending it on what matters most.